Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is April 8th. Andy, how are we doing? Brendan, I'm doing good. You know, just daily pods, Masters Week, even though there's no golf, huh? <laughs> My wife loves it. Does your wife love it? Oh, yeah. It's like, well, well, 75 and sunny today in Chicago, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I, I got to do Fred Couples research. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, well, I could be there for 10 days, gone for 10 days. You'd be at the kids, you know, by yourself. It's like I basically am. You're reading about Fred Couples for 12 hours and also trying to do work and all that. A so, little solace that I'm here. I'm basically as useless as ever. So um, Somehow we've made our lives more difficult, uh, you know, more, more work intensive when there's no golf on. But don't, hey, don't cry us a river. Be fun. Yeah, don't cry us over. It's you know whatever. It's time consuming, but we're reading about Fred Couples. Could be much more challenging things out there in the world. Okay, uh, quick news: birthday shout out, becoming a regular. Cody Homan, happy birthday to Cody, regular listener, avid listener. This won't become a birthday podcast, but if you give us your time listening, we can give you a two second shout out. Happy birthday, Cody Homan. Uh, Bryson is releasing his master scripting. Did you yeah. see this video? So ridiculous. Just because the Masters isn't happening doesn't mean this content needs to be Released. jammed down our throats yeah. right now. And all the the scripting is flowers. We're going to be playing in Thanksgiving. Like, what is all this stuff? I think, the that, I, think it, I saw some notes that the flowers might be blooming still. You know, it might get a fall bloom. Oh, I, sure. I, I don't doubt it. But just the way they are doing the spring scripting, and he's just like, oh, it'll have to wait. It's just. I mean, you got to cut bait and figure it out for November. But I, I, you know, Puma doesn't miss too many opportunities for activations, I guess. Is Ricky's uh, coming tomorrow? <laughs> what was the one? Flagstick camo? Maybe Ricky will periscope or Instagram live his scripting for four hours a day just to make sure to fill the impressions. Scripting that would have been. And still available for $85 uh, on Puma.com. Uh, last but not least, for quick news before we get to boom, boom. Uh, Masters qualifying. I think there have been some questions about this. Will Gray, per Will Gray, the excellent Twitter account of Will Gray, tweeting today that uh, Masters has officially added top 50 guys based on the current frozen rankings. Um, McDowell, GMAC, Morikawa, Scheffler, Bezadenhout are in. And their November field is set at 96. So we are all, they clarified it. Masters may have been starting this week, but we didn't know what the field would have been. They, they locked it in based on the frozen rankings after the Players' Championship was canceled. Um, and Gus Nationals confirmed that every 
all the tournament winners, you know, between this summer and fall will qualify for the 2021 event. Does that make sense to you? It's kind of crazy. Too bad for your but uh, you know, I guess Brent Todd's in for his win at RSI, oh, right? Yeah. yeah, he's in for November. Jason Day's fifty one in the world. What him and Spieth are outside the top fifty. It's really? Nuts. Yeah. Day's fifty one? Yeah. Wow. Wow. What if somebody um, just goes gangbusters though? You can't tell me they aren't gonna give a special exemption. Like what if Victor Hovland wins three events? Right when it gets back, like they're gonna give, they gotta do like the last chance, you know. I don't know. Uh, the uh, I think it's set at ninety six. I, I guess I good. don't understand why we needed to set it. Because they don't like having massive fields, and if they're already at the ninety plus, I don't think they're trying to do whatever add a swath of guys that would have or might have qualified this year and then you keep two pretty evenly normal fields for this year and next year but it just not seems mention, strange that like so much uh, yeah, could change like somebody might lose their game somebody might find something and shoot up the rankings it's like why wouldn't you give yourself flexibility why does Grant hey, McDowell need to know right now if he's in the field or not you know what though but like if I were a that's true like I think what, they're doing I, what they can with the crazy situation. I understand if, it's a crazy situation. It just doesn't make any sense. Like If I were a player, though, I would maybe want the guaranteed spot next year than this year. I mean, this year, you know, we're trying to be optimistic as much, but, like, this year is much less of a given than April 21, right? I think. Yeah. So, like, I, I mean, what happens if the 2020 one's canceled? Those guys are kind of screwed. SOL, right? SOL. Maybe, I think. I don't know. So I, I don't know that it's the worst thing to just, if you, you earn it in 21 sometime this summer, just kind of wait for that. Um. All right, that's it. Anything else on that topic? No, no. You seem bothered not. by it. No, I'm not bothered by it. I just think it's a little strange. I think it's a strange decision. Everything's strange right now. You just got to accept the strange. Um, Curtis strange. <laughs> okay, we'll get to... We'll get to uh, Fred Couples in a minute. Should we? We have no sponsors today, which is another. We do uh, have a sponsor. We got Rocket. It's Wednesday. No, Rocket's Friday. They're coming Friday. They've pushed to Friday. It's oh. Friday. Remember? Okay. I don't remember. We, we talk about this pretty often. Well, whatever. We first started this. Whenever we got a sponsor, it was like first and foremost. Now we can't, like, eh, it's today. Today, tomorrow, next month, we can't keep track. Um, We got to talk about our coffee. Yeah, let's talk about our coffee. BixbyCoffee.com, Shotgun Start Blend. Getting a lot of uh, feedback that people are just housing, ripping through this coffee. It's just the current situation we're living in. I make this giant pot in the morning, as much as the pot will hold, and then just slowly kind of, you're home the whole time. You're not running out. You're not at the office filling the office pot. And uh, so I am fully stocked on Bixby. I'm getting that kind of the same sort of antidote from several subscribe, other friends and family. You know, subscribe and save. And you don't prevail? have to worry about Prevail. Is prevail the promo going. code? I think Bixby boys might still be going. I think there's promo codes flying around from, from back. I, we should probably lock that in. Prevail it, definitely works. It does seem to be a product that people are appreciating right now. Hopefully, you know, proceeds go 
portion of it go to us, portion of it go to Bixby, our first ever sponsor, got in, kept kept us afloat in the early days. Um, and yeah, that that's our coffee, Shotgun Start Blend. You sampled it. $17 to subscribe, $20 for a one-time purchase. All right. All right. Let's talk about Boom Boom. Okay. This one, again, caveat. We could talk about Boom Boom for 18 hours. We could There's read so about him for a full week. We could do a five-part... We are going to leave some stuff on the cutting room floor. We apologize if you know we missed your favorite anecdote that maybe you've memorized, but uh, maybe we'll supplement it later on. But we will try to keep this of a manageable length while attempting to capture all that is Fred Couples. He had a lot of Mr. nicknames too. Did you see that? Mr. Skins, Mr. Silly Season, I, I Mr. Did. Lucky. I had the czar of the silly season, Mr. Silly Season. There, there's a bunch. Boom Boom was McCord gave that yeah. to him. Boom, Did you I see that? I got the story for that. Okay. I've been my six pages of notes here, <laughs> but hopefully we don't read all of them. Yeah. But uh, I got a little intro here. This is from Riley's, uh, one of Riley's articles. SI okay. Vault. He's got a couple on Boom Boom. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, this was kind of like they overlapped really, you know, like a Jenkins and Hogan type thing. This was... Riley was throwing his fastball when Freddie was, you know, at the top of his game. Go ahead. Being with couples for a tournament is like spending a week in a paddock with Seattle slew. Men are aching. Phillies are drooling. Public relation men are doing double tuck layouts, but it seems to have no effect on the star. When couples won player of the year award, his acceptance speech start to finish was, I really don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about what the PGA means to me. It means hanging out with my buddies. I don't do much else but sleep and cat. And because of all my friends, they voted me number one. Thanks a lot. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I obviously knew about couples, his swing, his talent, kind of the reverence that he engendered in this, you know, early 90s, late 80s crowd of fans and dads. I didn't fully know his complex sort of personality, nah, right? Me either. Like swinging from ambivalence to apathy to sometimes a little snappy. Certainly, some of that brought on by the back trouble in the mid '90s. To uh, I, I did not know uh, uh, to actually not wanting to be a star at all. I think that was the thing I learned the most, and and I fully admit to being a naive, you know. I, this was a little before my time. I was eight years old when he won the Masters, but um, I didn't realize how much he hated being in the spotlight. He did not, almost in a Duval kind of way. Um, he did not want to be in the spotlight. He hated that he became a superstar. He hated that people seemed to be so into the idea of Fred Couples and be drawn to him. Like you talked about the agents and the PR people. I I, I didn't understand or or really appreciate all that background until this research so yeah you there you sure. all right I'm, I'm dealing with some technical difficulties you're shuffling here. around there yeah my, my second screen went out oh no is that where the research is yeah i gotta i gotta unplug it Oh, for God's sake! Gotta go down to one screen. This is this is slumming. For anybody that uses two screens, you know, going back to one with all these all these notes and everything. Do you this think is, this is tough? I'm I'm fighting through adversity here today. 
Do you think this gets left in? That's the issue. But most podcasts would edit this out, but I suspect we're just going to leave it in. Oh, it's going to be left in. I, I need I'm talking to about understand that I'm I am I'm struggling here. You know, like I, we're talking about his personality. Oh, get the fuck out! <laughs> we're talking about his personality. I'm just trying to drag it on as you're <laughs> bouncing around in your chair over there. What's going on? Right, I don't know I'm if there's go. like I'm all set the up dog now. is nipping at your heels. You're flying all over the place. All right, let's do some quick general uh, do want, stuff. Do you want me to run down some stuff? Do yes, let's do that. That's what I got. Yeah. All right. Yep. All right. So he's born in Seattle. Dad's a groundskeeper at a zoo. His, he works uh, for the Seattle Parks and Rec Department. Parks and, and Rec. His mom works too uh, for Seattle Parks and Rec. Um, self-taught, he'd pick up range balls during the day, and then he'd hit them at night. Uh, two-time first-team All-American at the University of Houston. Uh, he was the low am at the 79 U.S. Open at Inverness, Inverness. medalist We're- at the 80 U.S. am, and then he lost in the quarterfinals. Same U.S. Term- Open at Inverness where Bobby Clampett was hitting balls on his, off his knee, hitting tee shots off his knees, I believe. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. But yeah, that was the extent of his amateur, like two-time All-American and the low am at the U.S. Open, right? No major amateur wins? Is it well, my... medalist at USAM is pretty big. Okay, big that's right, that's right, that's right. Um, he had 15 PGA Tour wins on his career. He had a major, two players, 162 top tens on tour, 17 runners-up, uh, 23 third places, 12 top fives in majors, Obviously, at the Masters is his major. Five Ryder Cup teams, five Presidents Cup, PGA Tour Player of the Year ninety one ninety two, Varden Trophy ninety one ninety two, first American to reach number one in the world rankings. Uh, let's see. In eighty four, he this is an underrated year. He won the Players, and they finished top ten in the Masters, U.S. Open, and Open Championship at at age twenty four. So yep. that at that time was a pretty big deal for a 24-year-old. Yep. Uh, yep. His peak five-year run. So it was 91 to 96, or 90, 91 to 95, not 96. Peak you would five, say that's his peak? His peak five years, yeah. Okay, okay. 13 worldwide wins, 10 runner-ups, nine third-place finishes, 30 other top 10s and 118 starts. So that's, he won 19, uh, finished first or second, 19.4% of the time he played. And he, and he finished in the top 10, 53% of the time. Pretty insane. Mm -hmm. He had the run going into that 91 master or 92 masters where he had, I think like 17 top sixes in his last 21 starts. Yep. And they won. So it would have been 18 and 22 or whatever it is. Uh, he wore, wore no golf glove because they were no expensive. Glove. And he didn't wear golf shoes until he was tennis 13 shoes. or 14. I saw that. Grew up playing tennis shoes and never wore a glove. Man of our after our own heart. Pretty amazing. No uh, glove didn't need him. Who else? What else? Yeah. Uh, do you care that he was... Uh, Dominant on the Champions Tour as soon as I, he turned I, I, fifty. Champions Tour is disregarded. I agree. I mean, but he was. He did win like three of his first four starts in a major. But yes, anything else on the kind of the nuts and bolts you want to get to? Uh, no? no, you're still no. futzing around with your screen over there. 
Yeah, he's uh, not, not coming back. So why would you say his peak was eight? What did you say, ninety-one to ninety-five? Yeah. I I mean I agree with that based on those numbers, but where I, would I, where else would you put his peak? Uh, just I mean, like you said, eighty-four is a good year. There were just I would just say I, maybe we could talk about this in the legacy portion. He was really a, a contrast to a a, a, a Lyle or a Paven, or a Sutton. Some of these guys we've talked about, Sandy Lyle was just done. Uh, uh, Hal Sutton had a full decade where he was N.A. Corey Pavin, I mean, Sandy Lyle had four top tens in majors. Corey Pavin had minimal top tens, whatever it was, very few. His like, best Masters was the one that Couples won. Couples had... Top tens like just scattered all over the place. Eighties, nineties, obviously several in the, in the Masters in the two thousands. A couple Open Championships, T three at the 05 Open. So it was just like even with the injuries trouble, which we'll go into you know at length. It it's it's kind of a, a three decade run of at least relevancy at the majors, I would say, as opposed to some of the other guys where we've talked about. It, granted, his peak that ninety two season is absolutely the peak but um he, just, he was competitive for a long time i think he was a really good player and yep. then he i mean he was like he was a guy that i kind of think him and sutton are are kind of similar in the sense that both of them they and we we've talked a lot about how the u.s didn't really have a ton of talent in this era yeah their two most talented players were Couples and Sutton in in, in the eighties, and neither yep. of them really cared about golf. Didn't yeah, like yeah. Sutton was busy riding cut horses on his ranch, and Couples was just skipping watching tournaments. TV. Yeah, watching TV. Loves TV. Guy just loves the couch and TV. Loves watching sports on the couch. Yep. I yep. a funny story um, I got from a buddy. Uh, his first win, which was the Kemper, which we could go into, eighty three Kemper, eighty three Kemper Open. The night the going into the final round, he fell asleep on a couch watching sports. <laughs> a little different than you know some of the guys who can't sleep or are pacing around. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was watching other, the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's any other nuts and bolts. You want to uh, do that's, that's odds and ends for nuts no and glove. I think we he could... had two video games. How about that? Do you remember that? Yeah, Fred Couples Golf for the Game Gear and uh, the the one by Sega Golf Magazine. Thirty six great holes starring Fred Couples for the thirty two X. He was he was like the I feel like one of the the most successful at monetizing his brand. But he didn't even care. Like he didn't I want know. it. He didn't want to be on the video I game. I think that's I mean, why people wanted him on the video game. I think yeah. that was some of the appeal. Yeah. I um, would say legacy we could talk about. He won at a variety of very good venues, I would say. Here's just some quote, some quick quotes. Okay. Nicholas, he's one of the most talented players I've ever seen. Jim Nance on the first time he saw a couple swing. So they obviously knew each other at Houston. You got a quick glimpse of who could play and who couldn't. I knew right away I couldn't, but Fred could. The buzz going around that day was all about Fred. Everybody knew that something special was going on when they just saw him hit golf balls. Yep. 
Um, all right, let's let's hit his rise. Does this sound good? And then we'll yeah. get his first win. You hit on some of the family stuff. It's so he's he's from the working class background, and we talked about a little bit of that in contrast to VJ, right? Or maybe um, like a woozy. Where some of those angry working class guys contrast that with Sutton. Well, Freddie was working class, but as you'll see, hated practice, didn't care to, you know, he's the opposite of VJ. So his, uh, his original family name was Coppola, like Francis Ford Coppola, Italian immigrants uh, that they changed their name to couples to make it sound less Italian, less ethnic. So he's born in Seattle, as you mentioned, the Parks, Parks and Rec department lived in like spartan rambler and beacon hill in like a working class area his dad was a groundskeeper at the zoo and some baseball fields um in jefferson park is where he grew up self-taught never took a lesson until college allegedly and he graduated from o'day high school famous high school in the seattle area and when by the time he graduated at jefferson park he was forbidden from using his driver on the range because out of concern for people playing basketball on the welfare. other side of the fence, 300 of, yards away. Out of concern for public welfare, that driver was so nuclear. <laughs> so, yeah, because because it's just a park. They're playing basketball on the other side of the fence. Um, Bryson wouldn't worry about that. He'd be as so, a 19, he'd be, he wouldn't uh, abide by that. He'd say, I, I'm hitting it over the fence. As a 19-year-old amateur, couples beat... PGA Tour veteran Don buys in a playoff to win the 78 Washington Open. So that was like a big amateur win, winning the Washington Open. And there was always asked him like if he, why did he, he didn't stay in Seattle? Because he's like big on Seattle growing up, does the 12th man stuff. And it's all about like, it's too far away. He loves Seattle, but it's like not convenient for traveling. And one of the quotes was, he I'm a weird. Like a man of convenience. Yes. It's like, I'm a weird, weird person, said Couples, who during this article had lived in Dallas. There are not many people people or things I dislike. Where I live is not so important. It's just the traveling. If I lived in Seattle, Seattle, I'd have to take a lot of long flights to tournament. People say I should have lived in Seattle. I should have stayed with my family. I'm no, I know I'm not too good with the phone, but in my mind, I'm there all the time. All right, so came up in Seattle. The phone quote. Do you have the phone quote written down? It's like a Stephen Stephen Wright ask quote. It's like I, I don't. This again gets to his personality. It's like I'm not one for answering the phone because I'm afraid there'll be someone on the other end when I pick it up. <laughs> uh, all right, we can get. Obviously, at Houston, he was roommates with Nance and Blaine McAllister. Anything else before he turned pro? How about his turning pro story? Again, amazing stuff. He turns pro because he was bored. He was staying with family friends in the Long Beach area. He was bored. He wanted to play golf. He went to this place. What was it? El Dorado Park. El Dorado Park. It was the... O'Meara. Uh, this is where Mark O'Meara turned pro, remember. But th- that was planned. Yes. This was... He still had a year to go at Houston. Um and he was just bored staying with family friends in Long Beach. In, in, in order to play at this El Dorado, they're like, we got an event. All the amateur spots are taken, but you could turn pro. And so he turns pro just without kind of any consultation. He's like, I had no agent. I had no lawyer. I had no phone. I, I didn't really think about it. I talked to this guy. I think it was Larry Benson. And he turns pro for this Queen Mary Open in Long Beach. He made $1,800. He called and told his dad. His dad hung up on him. 
And he told us at this Hall of Fame induction. And that was it. He was pro all of a sudden. He didn't. Without but the, the best was he thought he was going back to school. Thought he was going to Houston still. He, he just didn't know that he couldn't go back then. Right, right, right. So he said, I, I thought maybe I could sign my name on the Queen Mary registration and still go to school. I didn't ro- really know what the, it, I did. That's the truth. So then he almost and, missed He almost missed Q. signing up for Q school. Yeah, because he didn't know. I mean, he's a turd pro. You got to go. Like, it's just going to languish in, in some, you know, purgatory. But he's got two days all of a sudden to qualify or to register. And he goes, I didn't know what I, someone told me he had to two, appli- two days to get his application postmarked. He goes, I didn't even know what postmark meant. And I'd already borrowed $200 to enter the Queen Mary where he turned pro. So he borrowed $500. He went to the regional, qualified. And two months later, he was on the PGA Tour. He won the most money of any rookie his rookie year. Honestly, just bored staying in Southern California. And they're like, we if you want to play, you gotta turn you could turn pro. He's like, all right. He's done. Houston. Out. Unbelievable. Right. It's a it's the, the stories get better though, too. The, somehow they get more and more entertaining. He goes, it was the dumbest decision I ever made, but you know, it turned out to be a great one because of his success. All right, what else? You want to do early years, first win? What do you want first to do win. here? Okay, first win's the 1983 Kemper Open. Congressional. Uh, as Your you backyard. noted. My backyard. That's correct. You know, if, uh, if, if Congressional was Northwestern, they'd say Fred Couples was a longtime member. What does that mean? You know, like just because he won there. University, yeah. All right, so uh, spent two weeks here. He spent a week at Congressional early in his career. So he wins a five-man playoff. One of the players in the playoff, Barry Jackal, found out he was in it. Was in the bar. I didn't clarify. He was in a bar. Didn't clarify whether he was drunk or had been sipping like Sandy Lyle at the Trophy Lancome. but he was in the bar because <laughs> couples shot, he was in the uh, group of three in the last group. Couples shot 77. He was with T.C. Chen, who shot, shot 76. This is 83. And Scott Simpson, who shot 77. So they all shot 77, 76, 77. And they finished more than an hour after the group in front of them on the course. It was like became referred to as like golf's like the longest day ever. Like, and I, could you envision that happening nowadays? Was you're an hour behind the group yes. in front of you? You if could you put if you put Jason Day, Bryson, and uh, I don't think they'd let it happen. Can't lay in a group together. It might. So he, he gets in a playoff the seventy seven, and then uh, I think he like stuffed one. It was sixteenth, I think sixteen at Congressional, whenever that routing was, uh, and wins. And what was notable about this was his wife, Deborah, who he married, I think, almost right out of college. Was in like some mini dress and a cowboy hat. People came like the sports writers loved Deborah. This was referenced for like the next decade or until they were divorced, basically. She came, so he he puts in and wins, and she goes running on the green and jumps like. Wraps his wraps her legs around his waist, like jumps up onto his waist and wraps her legs around him in a cowboy hat and a mini dress. So like, and this becomes a theme through the first the next decade basically is like Fred like doesn't want attention, doesn't want 
like headlines and his wife sort of like, I mean, you know, fills up the, uh, I don't know, that portion of their life is, is into that stuff. Um, allegedly. She was like the extrovert. He was the introvert. They literally referenced that jumping into it around his waist thing, like for in every article about him through the 80s, like previously known just for his wife running out. They must have played that on the news or whatever, a bunch. So that's his first win. First win. Finished. He falls asleep watching the Stanley Cup playoffs on a couch the night before. You know, oh, one little fact about couples. He's double yeah. jointed. I don't think I knew that. I didn't find that. Okay. That's, that's part of why uh, it, the smooth swing. Got he's, it. He's okay. Double jointed. Okay. Okay. Um, I love it. Yeah. All right. Should we do eighty-four players? First real big kind of win. So yeah. he won. He won. Did he win anything after that? Kemper before the players. I don't think he. No, did. that's it. So he turned pro in eighty. Wins the eighty-three Kemper, and then wins the eighty-four Players Championship at uh tpc sawgrass and interesting i, I read dan jenkins on this oh, yeah, I assume me too. You got the, just in most of his articles about how the players were bitching about how it was too hard sawgrass, they softened it big time this year for 84 die they 11, seems like they did something to almost greens. yeah a ton of ton of work uh, but subtly right or or not dramatically noticeable took a lot of contours out of greens and, mm-hmm. and things like that uh, um so he 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 shot uh, 64. 64 on Friday, but the two years previously, he shot 79.80 and 81.84. That's so right. after his Friday round, he said, I still think it's too hard. My wife stayed in California because we both knew I'd miss the cut again. Now she's flying in. It'll never be play any easier than right now. He thought he was going to miss the He went there and he thought he was going to miss the cut. Uh, a lot on it. Jenkins had a lot to say about his wife. Right? Oh my god! Deborah. Just when he when he was in college, he met his. Article was about his wife. <laughs> when he was in college, he met his rambunctious wife Deborah, whose white cowboy hat has earned her the tour nickname of Tex. She was a tennis player at Houston. You know, she was became a tennis instructor. There was a funny story about how she thought Couples was a baseball player. Yeah. He like kind of lucked into his wife, as Rick Riley said. Um, and uh, so Friday he shoots a sixty-four, right? He bogeyed the first and eighteenth holes. He goes, Jenkins, right? Uh, you know, a sixty-four with two bogeys on what was supposed to be a monster. And then after that sixty-four, he goes, I think it's still too hard. You, you said that quote. So he ends up Sunday with Tom Watson and Seve Ballesteros. Pretty. And he's what? Would you say 24 at this point? 24. With Watson and Ballesteros. Um, who pushes him? Do you have anything more on this? I, yeah, I just yeah. have mostly. So uh, he made a couple bogeys early in the round. That's right. But then right. He, he, I think he holed out in e- for Eagle on one hole, and he made a few birdies. And it, by that time, he birdied eight and nine, and uh, Ballesteros and Watson both faded. So he got. He had, you know, he kind of had a cushion. He needed to to make a bogey on 18, and he kind of hit one iron. He he three-putted for bogey to win by one. Um, he hit so, a one iron off 18T when he only needed a five. Okay. Um, so, you know, he uh, 
He did hit a 200-yard 7-iron, which seemed to have Jenkins just totally like flabbergasted. Yeah, on he's 18. pretty upset about that. <laughs> he was from the rough. He probably had a flyer. Okay. Um, <laughs> duly impressed by Aceros. Fred has a very strong game, but the most important thing about him, he is very cool. Nothing bothers him. Well, I think that, that proved to be a bad quote. Yeah. No, that's that's the thing. This whole like Mr. Cool stuff is not necessarily always applicable. He kind of developed a rep for choking. Yeah. What about the line Jake had said about his wife running into the woods to fix her makeup? makeup. Was like the only action between. <laughs> so her he regular wins trips to the woods to <laughs> fix her makeup. I mean, it seems like Dan Jenkins wasn't watching the golf. He was just watching <laughs> Deborah, Deborah Couples the whole round. Uh, because I still think it's too hard. I'll never play it. So he wins 84 players. No one really, I mean, Biasteros and Watson were all over the place, basically. But he still won with them. In the, but he, this kind of heightens the expectations. It was interesting how, like, the narrative changed from he's so cool, he gets it done, to he can't do it. In the big time, you can't yeah, do it on Sunday. There was a, a Jaime Diaz article just the, in the spring, uh, January of the next year about how he was the next big superstar. Right, right on this on the what is it on the edge of superstardom or something like that, mm-hmm. and just how he gets it done at all the right times. But by the end of the eighties, he's like Mister Choke, basically, is what they called him. Yeah, so here's some stuff from that 85 uh, SI okay. piece. Okay, I've got a lot in there, too. So uh, this is uh, his agent, John Lynch. Uh, okay. Fred is different from most of his uh, most of the players. He doesn't care that much about money. And for a guy with his talent, he's almost entirely without an ego. Um, and the couples goes on. For me, staying around a golf course is bad. Whatever I shoot, I need to get away so I can start fresh. It's like how, like, no matter what, after a round, he just signs his card, gets out of there. Um, you know, uh, here's just another first part. Couples is not crazy about what goes on with being a rising star. If he were, he would have scratched and clawed and become the leading money winner. He was second on the list as of late, uh, as of late June. Instead of putting his game in, uh, putting his game in what his caddy Lynn Strickler calls cruise control and sitting out 15 of the last 27 tournaments, and he wouldn't have downplayed his long tee shots, which averaged 276.3 yards, number two uh, to tour Bill uh, tour rookie Bill Glass on who hit him. So he just he he could have won the money list and he just shut it down and she, skip, skip kind of unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, one more thing I forgot to mention. When he was winning the players, after that Kemper thing, he found his wife in the gallery as he's walking up. He goes, please don't jump on me if I win again. Because he had dogged him ever since. But then that, that this Diaz article comes a year later, January of 85, being like, he has no ego. He doesn't want all the money that's being offered him. He's actually just bailing on, you know, whole swaths of the schedule. Here's what Freddie says. I just want to act my age. I don't think you should try and act older. 
So far, no one has accused him of being executive material, Diaz writes. <laughs> I don't always plan ahead real well, he admits. Um, yeah, he forgot his passport on the way to the British Open this year and had to fly back from Chicago to Los Angeles to get it. So, he, uh, he has also pulled out of a few tournaments at the last minute. Mostly, though, couples ways uh, are a source of amusement on the tour. So... Practice rounds for the hang loose foursome of couples, Dan Pohl, Tom Pertzer, and Jay Haas. The first three are statistical, are informal affairs that sometimes deteriorate into trick shot competitions. And when no gallery is around, couples can ham it up. His specialty is the space rocket slice. This is incredible. Perform best on par threes. He tees the ball on a pencil so he can catch it on the upswing and takes a full cut with a driver and steps back as the ball does a soaring right turn before plummeting to the green. You ought to see that thing back up when it hits, says O'Meara. Imagine tour players doing this in practice rounds. Putting it on a pencil. And hitting drivers on par threes. As hard as they can and as high as they can. (laughs) So... Nance said in college he did this. And Tyler Texas, forget who, this may be from the same Diaz article, I think, maybe. Uh, couples drove it through the fairway and out of bounds on a 410-yard par four with a sharp dog leg. So it's this dog leg. He drives it through the fairway, OB. So then he goes back to the tee, puts it on a pencil, and launches it over the trees, over the dog leg. And... Nance allegedly says, 10 seconds later, we hear all this cheering from the green. The ball is 20 feet from the hole, and Fred made it. Easy par. On this, putting it on a pencil, hitting it up over the dog leg. All right, what else do you have from that 85 article? Anything else? All right, here, here's how it kind of ends. Couple okay. says he likes to play, uh, play well early in the year so he can take time off to spend with, his, with Deborah at their homes in Newport Beach and Rancho Mirage. These are not times when he does much, if any, any practicing, but that's his style. So here's a couple. Someday I might look back and say I should have worked harder, but now it's the furthest thing from my mind to be the best player in the world. Maybe fifth best. So the article Maybe ends. fifth best. As fifth, we learned to... So the article ends, fifth best, look out, everybody. Friend Couples <laughs> may be deciding he's pretty good after all. This is what he wants. He wants to be fifth best. Seems like a lot. Um, one prescient thing from that article was Jacobson. Peter Jacobson, who was doing all the impressions. Comedic he goes, I don't... Relief. Well, he does all the swing impressions, right? And he goes, yeah. "I don't do impressions of Fred Couples. This is '85 because I don't want my, I don't want to break my back." I thought it was kind of given what came, you know, ten years later. I saw. I think it was a John McClain um, analysis in some article that talked about how the hip, like the way Couples and Daly use their hips. They got like six inches more of of like it would get through the ball six inches more than like the average PGA Tour player, which is why they were so crazy long. I have I have that too. Yeah, that was a deal. It's six inches, right? Yeah. It moves the left hip, mm-hmm. um, or six inches more than the average. 
I think it's six inches more. I don't know. I, I think know. so. I have it written down here. Uh, but the swing was like everybody thinks of it as like this fluid thing, and it's effortless. I thought it, in that is Houston coach Dave Williams. Like it's the way a twelve-year-old would swing if you handed him a club. His mechanics aren't perfect, but he has great rhythm, and rhythm overcomes a lot of flaws. Yeah. Um, I just, I mean, it's it's amazing to hear about this like mid eighties. The talking about like the pencil, the the what was it, the space rocket, space rocket slice. And, and like his caddy, who's not Lacava yet, it's like Fred thinks of himself an athlete, and he manipulates the ball just to keep from getting bored. He'll just, you know, hit a three iron when you know the five iron. He's got, you know, it's the shot is reachable with the five iron, just to just sort of a cut three iron just for fun. A little bit of Bubba in him, you know, in that people can annoy him and just kind of wants to shape shape shots to keep from getting bored. All right. Where do you want to go next? Um, Again, just to be clear, this is 85, and they say like his two wins have come in these great pressure cookers, and he's this fourth round, you know, dynamo is what, how, it, how it's characterized. All of a sudden, things he starts fumbling away leads. I think the big, the big moment that everybody's gonna remembers is the 89 Ryder Cup. Ryder Cup. He's against Christy O'Connor in singles. And he right? could have won the Ryder Cup. So, um, so this is a uh, 89 Ryder Cup. I don't Here's I a, this, uh, is a, this is a golf digest story. Okay. Okay. He was the 71 hole champion of the free world. In 88 uh, he lost the Phoenix Open by duck hooking his tee ball on the last hole. In 89 with the US needing only a tie out of him to win the Ryder Cup at the Belfry, he gagged on a 9 iron. Uh on the 18th hole lost a gray-haired Irishman named Christy O'Connor. Oh. British Ryder Cup captain Tony Jacklin told O'Connor before the shot, just get it on the green. Couples will choke. Jacklin exp- explained his presence uh, to Golf Digest. I knew a bit about him. I'd seen him fold like that before. He just doesn't react well to pressure. He can't handle it. I think that was Riley, I believe, it Rick Riley article. Yeah. Um, in his yeah. first nine years on tour, he won only three times, and anybody who saw that dulcet swing knew something was wrong with this picture. Wasn't he exactly what was wrong with America's young stars? The numerous check-cashing mannequins who knew all too well that the road to a mansion in Palm Beach is lined with eighth-place checks. So he wins the players, 84. Diaz is calling him like, this pressure player in 85. By like 89, he's considered this you know, Ricky figure, you know, a mansion in Palm Beach with eighth-place eighth checks. And Can, can you it, tell the stories about him missing stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, well, Nicholas, uh, what, what was the running joke? Here's the run. Is it a standing joke on tour that couples could have won twice as many tournaments as he has if he'd only remembered to enter them? He forgot to enter at Doral. This was, I think, early 90s. And, and Mark Kalkovecchia said, that's just plain stupidi- stupidity, which he loves Doral. Legend has that 87. The incredibly polite but absent-minded couples approach registration table at the Houston Open. He goes, can you tell me if I have a courtesy car this week? He goes, secretary says, no, you don't. He goes, oh, can you tell me what, what time I play in the Pro-Am? He goes, you're not in the Pro-Am. Well, what time do I tee off on Thursday? He goes, no, you're not, uh, you're not entered. So he wouldn't enter. He'd forget to enter tournaments. Doral, Houston, like places that he liked. Forgets his and, passport and at home. Forgets his passport at home. 
Um, he just loved watching uh, sports on TV. <laughs> Did you read the quote about golf is way down on my list of priorities? Yeah. He's in 86. I don't give it nearly 100%. I think I got <laughs> it went, in here. And they went to Wimbledon with his wife in 86. So it's just like ambivalence yeah, he in, went, in he the mid 80s. He finished second in the Western Open at the time, like premier event on the PGA yeah. Tour. And the next yeah. year he goes to Wimbledon instead. So the guys start sort of ripping him, right? I mean, uh, you know, when he gets his entry in on time, uh, Roy, Roy Firestone... And ESPN asked him what would be satisfied with the week of the 91 LA Open. He goes, if I can come in, play a good tournament, finish third, I will be very happy. And Nicholas is like, I don't understand that. I don't understand him. He's Nicholas who said, what are you, something about his talent. It's like yeah. one of the most best talents talent, he'd yeah. ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most talented players he'd ever seen. I don't understand that. Tom Weisskopf described couples as great talent, no goals in life, not one. He's not as easy going as people think. You can see the pressure get does get to him. Couples actually popped back at, at Weisskopf for that. Said like he was a waste. Uh, he was you know an expert in wasted talent himself. So here's here's a good couples quote about his drive. I don't know anyone who can say they they don't have a regret. I could go away five or six weeks in a row and never touch a club. I would just look at them and say, I I just don't want to do, uh, I just don't want to. It's not that important. And it wasn't that important, golf. I don't want to answer it loosely. I pay a lot of attention to it, but I didn't, I don't ever really think about it. I do think a lot uh, about a lot of other things I can't get my mind off of. But golf is a game to me. Other players work extremely hard all year long. I work hard before Augusta. I know I get good results when I practice, but it also wears me out. I literally wore, It literally wore me out even when I was in my 20s. I don't have the mentality to go out there for two hours and get drenched in sweat, but that's what you're supposed to do. You really are. So that quote is from 2008, yeah. Jaime Diaz. I mean, we're talking about 19, mid, mid-80s for getting to enter tournaments, right? And then even in 08, he's like, I, I just... It's just a game to me. I, I, I don't want to be drenched out there in sweat. It, in like the late 90s, he told Seattle, he goes, Seattle uh, Times, I'm a pretty good golfer. I'm not a great golfer. The, that intense person you see as an adult was probably an intense kid. I wasn't that person. You can't start at 37. I choose to play golf the way I played it when I was 18 years old. So it was just coming up, watching sports on TV, not practicing, and going out there, sometimes he, forgetting to enter. Supposed to be a, legend, a legendary couch potato. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else? Uh, should we Should we go to uh, kind of the so fallout it, from '89? Yeah, '89. You know, they call him this Ryder Cup. Show. He gets. He takes this one hard, right? He kind of seeks buddies up with Ray Floyd. This mm-hmm. This makes him slightly more competitive and less ambivalent. So uh, Riley says. Uh, so Floyd. This is from the Riley piece. Um, no, says Floyd. Fred was either going to step up to the next level uh, after what happened in 89, or he was going to fold up, and he went to the next level. Was it Watson? Nah, says Watson. Fred is just learning the game. He's just now learning how to act under pressure. Was it luck? 
Hey, says Donald, uh, Freddy's just beginning to realize how good he is. I'm telling you, the guy plays a different game than the rest of us. All right. So, so he's then, a, go ahead. So then 90, he has an awful collapse at Shoal Creek. PGA. Uh, he, he was up one, made four straight bogeys. Yeah. Is that he, accurate? He missed Wait. short putts on every hole. Well, Wayne Grady wins by three, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, Wayne Grady. Okay. Um, and after afterwards, so he missed all these short putts. He said, "I'm past the stage of saying this is a learning experience." A disheartened couple said, uh, "When the touch had to be there, I didn't have it the last five holes." This was. I mean, he started. I think a few shots back of Grady. Then had a one-shot yeah. lead by the 12th hole and then just made four straight bogeys. So that after the the kind of horrible nine iron and singles in the Ryder Cup in 89. The snap the, hooks off the tees and like the Phoenix Open. All, and and, the, know, it was and just the 90 like PGA. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the peak, as you call it then. So he, he just starts killing, killing it. You know, in yep. 90, 91, he's player of the year. Wins three times, low scoring average. Um, then he goes into 92. He has this crazy run leading into the Masters where he just basically finishes outside the top six just a few times. So he, he won two events and finished second in two others in the five weeks leading up to the 92 Masters. This is after 91. He was player of the year. He won at Riviera by nine. Uh, I'm sorry. He won at Riviera. Then he won at Bay Hill by nine before the Masters. Um, and this was, like you said, he finished sixth or better in 16 of 20 events as, uh, so he's like, he had these choking moments, but like, he's this megastar now at this point. I think it was Riley that said a guy wears clothes so wonderfully well that the company that bedecks him, Ashworth went from annual sales of nothing in 87 to 17 million in 91 player with golf clubs looks so right. That one manufacturer just agreed to pay him four million over five years. Links, links, links. <laughs> social media superstars of twenty eighteen. <laughs> you know, right. uh, Ashworth said you could just see you could see it from two fairways over. Fred just had it. My company was founded on the idea I didn't want to be ashamed to be a golfer. That cl- that golf clothing could be hip instead of nerdy. When I thought of the player who could convey that better than any anybody, it was Fred. And this was McCord said something similar. He goes, Fred is the real. So McCord is all over the place. He nicknamed him Boom Boom. I think he said he had like the ambition of melted ice cream at one point. Again, like hitting him like Weisskopf did. He has no goals and all that. But then here's McCord. By the end, he's like, Fred is the first real golf Zen master. It's how he plays, how he moves, how he talks. As great a player as, as he's been, I think his legacy will be more as a persona. And we'll get into that later. But. That combined with the Ashworth, like he has it. Uh, so something that this made me think about when I was reading about Freddie was like, I don't. I feel like in this era, people wouldn't be allowed to be like Fred Couples. But it, it reminded was, me, like, if there was a Fred Couples, it'd be like DJ. I was thinking that he would get. I think he had to be getting crushed, right, by some of the old guard for just like his his for apathy to, for getting to enter tournaments. And then, like, 
the whole like just kind of nonchalance of like walking down the fairway and some of his like I don't know gesticulations and mannerisms like I, I'm sure it appealed to a lot of people and I, this isn't like a hot take but like it had to piss off like the old guard broadcasters players like who is this guy like that it's almost like a showboating thing but it really is just him being like nonchalant so he really were, didn't want to be a star watching Deborah. He really didn't want to be a star, but okay. So, so ninety one or ninety two, he, he wins by nine at Bay Hill. He's won at Riviera. He passes the uh, million mark in earnings on the season before tax day, as they said, with the Masters win. Mm-hmm. Should we do the Masters? Yeah. So, um, Riley, I rewatched. Yeah, I rewatched I re- this I quite watched a bit this too. Okay. With victories at the LA Open and the Nestle Invitational earlier this year, Couples arrived at Augusta as the first American ever to rise to number one in the Sony rankings, which were instituted in 1986. So this is 1992. 19, in 1986, there hasn't been an American number one. And as you the know num- what? <coughs> go ahead. Go ahead. And as the number one money winner on the tour this year, What's more, since last summer's U.S. Open, he had finished in the top six in a, a chilling 19 of 24 tournaments he had played and won five of them. Here, finally, was Chip Hilton in a visor. All yep. couples hadn't done was win a major. If he could do that, golf might start thinking about giving him Tom Watson's old locker. If he never did, he would get thrown in the heap over there with Tom Kite and the rest of the very good players who got off the bus one stop short of greatness. Amazing. So you want to talk about the masters? What, what stuck out to you about the masters? The guys he was playing with. Craig Perry, Perry. Popeye arms. Who was the, who's the guy that was, uh, I already forgot his name. He shot 78 Schultz, Ted Schultz, Ted Schultz, Schultz is how they kept. Not Schultz. Scholes is how they kept pronouncing it. What um, about Ian Baker Fitch's uh, just whole team Dowie? Daiwa? Daiwa. The big glasses. Yeah, the thick... just had an aura about him. Ray Floyd hitting the ball like 340 yards Dude, at Ray 49 Floyd years old. Incredible. I want, he's a little before this era we're spotlighting, but I, I, I want to go back and do more on Floyd at some point. He finished uh, runner up in 90 at age 47, and I guess he was like distraught. Yeah, I thought it was his last chance. And they finished runner-up as a 49-year-old. Yeah. I mean, and, and nuking the ball. Pushing couple. He was the biggest threat to couples on this yeah. 92. So he plays with Perry. Uh, well, and little little Corey Pavin. <laughs> For Pavin, yeah, but he ran out of holes. I mean, Floyd was a little closer. Little Sluman and little Pavin. <laughs> little Pavin. As announcers would call him. We're both in the mix. So a couple facts or a couple, you know, odds and ends Saturday morning. There's three hour rain delay on, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So they, they finished around Sunday morning. I, I didn't remember this Sunday morning restart. And he's dueling with this Craig Perry. Who's, you know, he'd never won, but he wasn't like a total chop. He was 15th in the world at the time. Um, and by the end of the round, like Perry, so it's couples and Perry and, and the last group, at one point, couples. I think it was after two. Couple, well, couple, yeah, couples started out bogey, bogey. Yes, he, or he hit like some. He parred too. He hit some. Yeah. He hit a couple snap hooks. Yep. Schultz, or, uh Perry birdied one right. and two. Right. 
Yeah, he was couples was three shots behind him. I think going to the third tee, um, and it would come undone quickly for Mister Perry. The Australian the telecast comes on there in, on seven, and he's in the trees, and he and he tries to hit it out of the trees. It just it just hits a tree and comes shooting down. It's just Nuts. like the perfect like why is Craig Perry on this leaderboard? Like was what I was thinking, and then it's just like he's gone so quickly. He bogeyed like four or five. He's probably like three, four, five, seven, uh, what's some combination like that on 10. Did you watch the tee shot on 10? Yeah. So he tugs it hard left and it shoots back across. Like it ends up by the 18th green. He had to lay up on 10. Uh, he was just not a factor. So I think like at this point, Freddie's got like this choke label, you know, associated with them. I think like having Perry there and f- not having to stare down Floyd, you know, Ray Floyd, who they had become buddies, right? Based off the 89 Ryder Cup, they paired together in 91 at Kiowa, did real well together. Floyd was sort of like a mentor for Freddie. Um, and so I, I don't know. It, 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 it worked out perfectly for couples based on like the critiques about how he was fully under pressure is what I'd say. He's with this sort of no name in Perry and Floyd is 49 years old ahead of him. Uh, Pavin like birdies 15 and 16 to make it somewhat tight, but it never really got dicey for couples. The only birdie he made on the back on the second nine was uh, 14. So yeah. Should we, you want to do uh 12? Yeah. That was unbelievable. It- I, I can't, so that, nothing, it stayed on the bank. So he hit it, came up short, and it stayed up. What, oh, yeah, so this is the famous moment, famous image. Like, I, I think it wasn't that great of a Sunday. No, it's a great winner. But like in the, you know, in the very high bar, relative bar that we set for a Sunday at the Masters, um, like there wasn't a ton of leaderboard movement. There wasn't a ton of players joining the battle. You had 49-year-old Floyd and basically Freddie just trying to steer it in the house. And he makes one birdie. But the, So the moment becomes the 12th where what was unbelievable about the 12th, and people would lose their minds today if this happened, is we didn't find out it was it, it, whether it was dry or in the water for like 30 seconds because CBS had just the camera behind the green and then they had probably had them just guessing here. They had the guy in the tower at the tee who's like focused on Perry, who was going to hit second. So he's like shooting directly down at the tee. The camera behind the green can't tell you, can't, you know, can't see the front bank. So it takes Vern Lundquist, like he's like, oh my. Lundquist is down at Amen Corner at this point. Everybody thought it was in the water. Yeah, he goes, oh my, he'd parted the first three days. And then 30 seconds passes, and all we're looking at is the back of the green. He goes, Lundquist chances the ball is dry, by the way. So nobody knew anything. And if this happened today, people would lose their mind. And then finally, they get a shot from the other side of Ray's Creek, right, where they can show you that it's still up on the bank because they needed to wait for Perry to hit or they got a camera out there, whatever it was. And, And it would just... This was the seminal moment of this tournament, and we didn't know for 30 seconds whether it had trickled down or stayed up. It was suspense. I just am trying to think about all the coverage tweets had that happened today. Uh, and, and so a lot of people talked about this. We talked about the three-hour delay, right? They thought it was maybe because it was soaked. Uh, Furman Bisher, the famous Atlanta drunk 
Atlanta Journal-Constitution writer who was covering it since the 1950. He goes, I, I can't remember one ever staying on the bank. Um, it was just like all these, you know, legendary writers, legendary authorities who've been there for decades have never seen one stay up like that. They thought maybe it was all the rain that the course had taken on all week. It was playing really long, and that obviously played into Couples' hands. Yeah. Um, so he said about it. Yep. He said, uh, he said, I didn't want to shoot for that pin, but there's this thing in my brain that just shoved the ball over there. (laughs) That's so great. He's like a steer towards the trouble almost. Uh, so that was, that was the biggest moment of, I don't know, of suspense. I thought, I mean, Floyd chips in on 14 was really cool. Another thing about couples, I think he was using a persimmon, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But he had the metal three wood, which he hit on thirteen. So he saves par at twelve. He pops it up to like tap in range, fishes the ball out. Remember, because yeah. it was a max fly, and he thought, uh, I think it was can, max fly. Can we talk about the three wood? I'm not yeah. positive if this is that three wood. I don't yeah. know if you have, but so he. This is from a Golf Digest interview in '03. Okay. <clears throat> And the question, while we're on equipment, set the record state. Did you actually use a three-wood previously owned by Tom Watson's ex-wife? It was So this is couple's response. It was a lady's driver. All I know is I went to his house to practice to see how he prepared, and I think I spent four or five days there. First day, we went out to, uh, out to his ranch and shot rifles, which is something I'd never done. Second day, I think we went fishing. And the third day... I didn't know what to say. I hadn't played any golf. I'd gone there thinking we were going to beat balls all day long. So I said, are we going to hit balls? Anyway, we went out. We put the clubs in his trunk, and I just grabbed a driver in there and sa- that said one on it. He said, oh, yeah, that's my wife's. Wow, it looks good to me. It was a strong three-wood or a lady's driver with a little extra length in the shaft. Wow. This was way back when when I got to the next tournament, I put my own shaft in it, and I killed it. When I was playing really well, if there was a hole I didn't like, I took this club out and hit it 260 easily. It became my favorite club. To this day, I don't know where it is. It's somewhere. He used it for six years. I didn't know that. I don't know that this was that. I think this had to be a Lynx. I don't know. Metal. He, like when was Maybe he- not. I wonder when he was prepping with Watson because he said he used it for six or seven years. Yeah, that could be. Because he, well, he hit three wood on 13 way up into the right. Yeah. But it was all grass, no pine straw then. Did you notice that? Yeah. Behind a tree, lays up, pars 13, birdies 14, pars 15, and just kind of pars his way in. The say. shot he hit on 14 was huge. Yeah. Yeah, because Floyd had just birdied 15 to, I think, get back within one, I believe. Yeah. Um, anything else on 92 Masters? He obviously... I loved... Uh, uh, so this is, this is a good one just for the context of couples oh, at this point. So this Johnny Miller? Yeah, couples is yeah, now right. the most dominant phenom since Johnny Miller in the early 70s. And the proof was evident at Augusta. Watson once said, great players learn they don't need to play their best golf to win. They only need to shoot the lowest score. That was Couples Week. His floor was his field ceiling. I love that. 
most dominant phenom since Johnny Miller in the 70s. I mean, there's some players that came in the intervening years, right? Yeah. Watson to name one. Right? I mean, or would you say Watson is right? That was an intervening. I feel like Watson came before Miller. Even before Miller. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. But I mean, this was the American star. And the, the, the big thing, too, was like this was the first American to win the Masters in, in a run. I mean, we had we had Faldo winning, too. We had Woozy. We had uh, who else was there? Lyle. Lyle. So, you know. Loner. Yeah. Bernard Loner. So there hadn't been an American winner for a long time. 87. American Masters winner. And there was never, think about it also, like this is 1992. There hadn't been a world number one American ever. And this is, you know, couples gets the world number one. You know, this is, he is the guy and he seems at this point poised to be the guy for the next decade. What's kind of crazy is then like his back blows out. I was reading like a 95 article and it was, it was he was still the guy even after his back had blown out. And he, after like for three years after the masters, he was like, he's the only like American who was number one in the rankings or, or the only American over the last like three or four years. Like there's still no real American after like that first five years in the nineties too. I mean, so in 94, he won twice. Like he, in 93, he won twice. In 95, he won three times. So, you know, he wasn't like gone, but he was, he couldn't practice. The big thing was he didn't practice a lot, but the back injury, he couldn't putt. He couldn't practice putting at all. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually that's just going to deteriorate, you know? Yep. Because in, in 95, he won the first two, uh, he won the the um, European first two European tour events, and everybody's Dubai, like, right? "Oh, he's he's back!" And then yeah. the back just started to flare up again. Like it would just come out of nowhere, and he wouldn't be able to swing. All right, we'll do a lot on the back later. Uh, anything else on the Masters ninety two? Nothing we good? else for me. Feel like we covered that. Obviously, he cries. He talks about it. both him and Nance cried in the Butler cabin when they've you know they talk. Nance always talks about how they would lay in bed in Houston and dream about winning the Masters. and Kind of amazing, right? That yeah. the broadcast, like the anchor of the broadcast and the winner of the Masters meet up there again, however many years, 12, 15 years later. Um, okay, so he wins the 92 Masters. He's got a million in earnings before they even get to mid-April. Wins another you talk- player of the year. Wins another Varden Award in 92. Do you want to talk anything about his Masters overall record? It's unbelievable. I mean, he's, you know, I think uh, he's got the best scoring average of players who've played 100 or more rounds in the Masters. Maybe tied with Nicholas, or he was, at least for a while. Um, You know, at at 52, he tied for 15th. 2010, he opened. I mean, this is all pretty well known in recent history, even for our younger guys. You know, he battled Phil in 06. Almost um, won that one. Yeah, almost won that. But I think he's like the only thing between, only similarity between Jack Nicholas and I is that we were both 46 because he was 46 at the time. He's like, I, you know, I can't putt and keep up with him. Um, it's just like, yeah, he's, his average was 71.9, 104 rounds is better than Nicholas. Um, Watson's is higher. Couples has 11 top 10 finishes at the Masters, which is 
shares the record for the most, uh, and he shared the record for the most consecutive cups made with 23 straight in a row. Yeah, from so he's like 83 till uh, 2000. He missed his first cut in 2008. Okay, so th- this is he was a 36 hole leader in 2012. You know, it's it's just all through the 2000s he's involved, and that became a boy. But he can't do it for four rounds. I mean, uh, he, go ahead. This, he's 61 years old, right? Yeah. So at 2010, he's 51. He finishes sixth. 2011, 15th. 2012, 12th. 2013, 13th. 2014, 20th. Then he misses a cut. Then he goes 18th in 2017. I mean, like, this guy's career at the Masters in his 50s, a lot of guys would take. I mean, those are better. He has more. Those finishes are better than Bryson's best finish. Right. What is Bryson's best finish? T20 or something? One thing that I kind of came upon consistently over, over this research is, like, yeah, he may be apathetic about a lot, and he may be hurt and can barely play. But like every year, it's just like Augusta, and that's it. Like yeah, I like try it. to play a couple weeks well before Augusta, or even if I'm not healthy, I just try not to play until Augusta. Like it's always Augusta. he gr- he grinds for Augusta. Yeah, and that's it. Like that's the one thing that kind of gets him to be less apathetic. So as it probably should. So, all right, that's his master's record. We, we know he won in 92, but it's always been a place where he's done well. Okay, so he wins in 92. He's like the superstar. He's player of the year. He's like really, really popular. Boom, boom, all this stuff. Everybody wants a piece of him. Um, and then he gets hurt. Should we talk about the injury? Yeah. 94 at the rail. His back, he said just a gr- grenade went off in his back. Um. He withdraws. Because he withdraws. He was, if not in the last group, one of the last groups, John Houston plays by himself and eventually wins yeah, as he a solo. Says that Houston only won because of him. Is that what he says? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, not, that that's the origin of the back issue. So it explodes. So a grenade went off in his back. He couldn't stand. Like he, or I'm sorry, he couldn't sit up. He's just like leaning on his club. They come and, you know, they had some physios come and haul him off. And that was like the start of 20 years of back trouble, really. Yeah. It's basically from that point on, he could never put even the little amount of time he needed into his golf game. Right. Um, all right. Where, where do you want to go next? You want to do players? 96 players? Yeah. We're going to do a lot more on the injury, but yeah, we might as well keep hitting this like run of peak, so to speak. So he shoots his final round 64 to win by four shots in the 90, 96 players. After you know? saying he doesn't have a 63 in him, he shoots a 64, right? Yeah. You know who he be, who was playing, who was in the final group? I do. A Svelte Tom- Monty. Oh, that's right. A Tommy Tolles and a Svelte Tommy to- Monty. Tommy Tolles and Monty. This is from a Jaime Diaz uh, SI article. It's Svelte yeah. Monty, who has uh, who has shed 34 pounds and a whole lot of bad attitude with it, has now finished first and second. That's impressive. He's more impressed with couples, so, but it's 34 pounds lighter. Mount Monty. 
So the big contrast was Tommy Tolles, Monty, who were just would grind their ass off, sell their left arm for a win on the tour. And Freddie, who's like been number one in the world, done it all, and was already apathetic before he even, you know, had all that. They asked him like what a, if he would like to win. He goes, eh, sure, sure. I'd love to win. Whereas Tolls is like, I would do anything. Um and he was asked for the week, you know, are you hungry for a win? He goes, eh, sure. Because with Freddie, he either has it or he really, really has it. And this is before his 64, La Cava. Today, from the first iron, I knew he really, really had it. Uh, Montgomery and Tolls were playing keep away with the lead while Couples remained one back. And then on the 16th, he goes, hey, look at that, Couples said to La Cava, standing in the middle of the 16th. Monty birdied 16, and La Cava had to tell him, no, he's behind us. He just birdied 14. So he didn't even know who was playing ahead of him. It's kind of unbelievable. Um, so, so he decides to go for it. He rips it. And Eagle's 16. I think he bur- birdies 17. Uh, Tolls yeah, was like, I bet. Three, two, four. Tolls was like, I've been in the gallery at the Masters, and I've heard the crowd after Jack Nicholas made birdies. But you don't hear a lot of roars any louder than the one I heard today for Freddie. It sounded like 20,000 people just won the lottery. And then he said, when. Th- couples made the 30 footer on the island 17th he goes it sounded like another 20,000 people won the lottery yeah uh, he goes I hate to say it he said afterwards but it was a pretty easy 64 and, and he just you know he, he standing in the 16th he simply reached out and grabbed the tournament by the throat going three under in his last three holes to beat tolls and Monty yeah Monty said you didn't have to tell me who that uh who that was for or, or what it was for. Honestly, when I heard it, I thought somebody had made a one at the 17th. There was so much <laughs> racket. So they ask him, like, you know, he's been injured. He wins the 96 players. He goes, what does this mean to you, Freddie? I guess it gives me another trophy and some crystal and a bunch of money. But worse, they told him it gave him a 10-year exemption. <laughs> he goes, that's scary. I really wasn't planning on playing that long. Just whereas Tolls is like fighting for like a one year, two year exemption, anything. And it's just like Freddie's could do without the 10 year exemption. He said, so that, this is one thing that was crazy. He said, this was the best round of golf in a while and the biggest win I've ever had. What? Like this is beyond the Masters. You know, this is after he won the Masters. It was real. It was thrilling. It was fun. I enjoyed it. To shoot sixty four on this course, I really feel like my game is back. I'm if I'm feeling good, I can beat anyone. Wow, that's fascinating. All right, so those are the big wins. Eighty four players. Here's here's the close to Diaz's article. Okay. So of course, is couples the most enormous, uh, the enormously talented, but sometimes achieving underachieving man who is when substance and style coincide, the best player on the PGA Tour. That he has won his second player's championship is no surprise, and that he has uh, been the man to end the upstart revolution is appropriate, because I guess there was all this youth youth invasion in 96. Sure, sure. All right, so he's won two players, won the Masters, been number one in the world, made a ton of money. What do you want to do next? Injury? 
I guess, yeah. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about the injury. The back just plagues him at like every turn of his career for the rest of his career. I mean, it wasn't just just like a Champions Tour player. It was 94. Like in his peak, it just kind of comes and wrecks him. He had Uh, to see all kinds of doctors. He finally got a good tip on a doctor that let him play even, you know? Somewhat, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this was, this was at Doral. Okay. So he felt great warming up on the range. He hit 30 chips, 20 shots with his nine iron. He just moved his eight eight iron when the, uh, grenade went off and that was it forever. 95, he skips the British open. Uh, and there was speculation that his, the back injury was a career ending because he skipped the British. Uh, couples had sent a strong message during the Kemper open when he was, this is 95. At the Kemper Open, he said he was considering a five-year vacation from tournament golf. I'd only be 40 or 41 when he came back. For me to come out and make $6,000 every week, $6,000 every week, it's just not fun. I could take five years off and make $100,000 in a week if I'm healthy. I refuse to go out there and embarrass myself. This is 1995. Yeah. He wants to take five years off. Um July, this is maybe one of the doctors. This is Tom Bores. Yeah, repeated, that's the guy. He's referenced a ton. He worked with Davis Love. Uh, so this is mid-July of 95. You know, this physical therapist, Tom Bores, loosened the tightness in his back. And so he goes to the Canadian skins game. You know, uh, his back was being his old self. If It, it just immediately flares up on him. And a local, uh, nearby photographer tells him to lie on his back with his head on his, propped up on his golf bag. He's just happy to oblige. So this is this is like a PGA ninety five PGA preview by Gary Van Sickle, I think. And he goes, "I've never been much of a fighter on the course, but I'm not going to play golf and not be competitive. It bothers me. I'm paired with great players. I want I watch them hit the ball. I hit it well about every other hole. People say my game looks pretty good, but I'm really just getting the ball around. I haven't had the strength to hit the hard fade or the low two iron. I just swing and hit the ball, and I haven't." done that for 15 years where he's just swinging and hitting it if i have a if i have a par five and i know i can reach it in two i want to hit it as hard as i can sometimes i feel great and i do and there are other days where i don't have any strength so he's he's become this superstar his back has gone out on him he's in the mid 90s and it's like i can't hit the shots i used to hit so you there lost you there andy yeah you there? Yeah, sorry. sorry. Um, so he, he this is he talks about his life had become a maze, like getting around. He just hated that there were too many like autograph requests. Um, he's just I don't know at the '95 Western Open. So this is the Motorola Western Open, oh, your yeah. old Motorola with Don Pooley. Um, Pooley, who who had had his own back pain, suggested to couples that he visit this Boers guy and couples shrugged off the suggestion He goes, eh, I don't need to do that. He goes, we were on the fifth hole when I did that. I said, Don, I can't feel any better than I'm feeling right now. He goes, by the 14th hole, I about had to crawl in. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Fourth hole, fifth hole. He's like, I can't feel any better than I feel right now. I don't need that. 14th hole, he's crawling in. So he's like disc problems, you know, he avoids surgery, just does sort of sort of this like physical therapy and loosening, and he skips the British. And all these guys like Floyd's like, I'm really worried about him. 
Crenshaw, he goes, it's unfortunate to see a world-class player go through what he's going through. Uh, he's at a crossroads. This is in the mid-90s. Um, and, and even at the 95 PGA, with all this back trouble and he's skipping majors, it was the first major. This 95 PGA was the first major in three years in which he wasn't the highest-ranked American in the field. Insane. So what you were talking about, even with that drought from like 87 to 92, where there were no American Masters winners, and no one had ever been number one in the world from America, we're now going past 92, all the way to 95. Uh, he was always still the highest ranked American in all these major championships. I mean, to be fair, he was like a top top eight player, you know, on all those, and all those. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he was still contending. It was just like, you know, constantly fighting his back. And even as he said, not able to hit the shots with the hit the power fade or the, the, the or I'm sorry, the fade or the power two iron, as he called it. All right. Anything else on the back? It just sucks, you know? I mean, I will go, we could do all the later stuff in 08. You know, he talks, it's just. He he won, has, his last tour win was 03 at the Shell Houston he, Open. Houston Open, he breaks down in tears, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been battling the back for almost a decade at that point. His 15 PGA Tour career, career, career wins, wins in Houston. Even in 98, I found articles where it said he's having like a monster year because he won Memorial by four, I want to say. He won the Hope and Memorial by four. In 98, saying he has a monster year, and then by 03, Houston Open, you know, that's it. That's the last win. Yeah, he. I mean, he kept playing decent golf. He, but he was just an average guy on the tour at that point. Okay, where so, do you want to go next? Um, there's a good golf digest art, uh, interview after his '03 Houston Open win. He talks about how he uh, regularly plays Muni's. Really? Yeah. Huh. He's like the the interviewer asked like what you get must get weird looks. He goes, I get a chuckle out of it. Usually I don't say anything. Uh, like yeah, that's right, it's me. Normally I play with a couple guys. Like he's just like a normal guy. You know, he goes yeah. Like imagine seeing Fred Couples playing your local. Band. You'd be <laughs> like what you'd be dropping, but like this is just how cool he is. You know. Uh, yeah. Just like kind of like a normal guy. He started. He he tried to start like an upstart uh, tour. Kind of sounds like the PGL. Talk about that. I didn't find that. You were All mentioning right. this to me, and I was well, like, I, I, did, I missed he that. He called it the Major Champions Tour. Uh, what year was this that he wanted to do this? So this was, I, I don't, I think it was like, okay, it all started in 2001. The thing he tried to get off the ground with TV producer Terry Jastro. The mm-hmm. proposal was for eight tournaments for players 37 to 55 who had won a major. It all started in the locker room at the 2001 Memorial. Greg Norman shot 82, like 82-73 to miss the cut. I was right on the line and pretty sure I was going to make it, but I knew I hadn't. Uh, I knew he hadn't. I said, you know, this is crazy. It sure would be fun to play better, but also to play with guys we can compete with, he said. That would be fun. So... Somewhere else, I bumped into Faldo. I like to stir him up a little bit. <laughs> so I told him the same thing, and he loved it. At the PGA that year, Faldo was with a guy, and they were trying to get it done, but they were going to do it in Europe. 
the whole time I was still going to play the PGA Tour. Then, of course, the tour got wind of it and tried to stop it. It, I thought it, it was a great idea, but at the same time, maybe I was blind and I didn't see the effect it would have. How did the, So here's the interview. How did the tour respond? I talked to Commissioner Tim Fincham for about three hours on the phone. He thought it, it was going to be, affect the regular tour and the senior tour, but in the back of my mind, I was looking out for myself. There was a ton of interest among sponsors, but I didn't want to lose my tour card and have the same thing happen to everybody else. Obviously, it didn't work out for a lot of uh, reasons. So it wasn't a renegade organization. No, a couple uh, of things bothered me. I heard, he just needs to play better. He's a good player. He needs to practice more. That's not what I wanted to hear. People want to see Greg Norman and Nick Price. They want me. They want Paul Easinger. Well, we can't play in all the tournaments. Don't bite the hand that fed you. The PGA Tour isn't coming here and paying my electric bill. They're creating purses, but they're being paid too. Interesting. Interesting comments, especially given the PGL proposal recently. Mm -hmm. So that's early turn of the century, 2001. It's so it's just it's crazy. He, he talks about sponsors exemptions in this thing too, and how he get, you know here's the here I get a chuckle when a Phil Mickelson loses in the first round of the World Golf Championships match play, and somebody who couldn't get into the match play finishes second at Tucson and ends up making more money for the week. I can see Phil's point. We don't need uh, we don't need to have tournaments against top tournaments. What I don't understand is how other guys think Phil's a bad guy for making that comment. Wow. All right. What other miscellaneous stuff you want to do? Yeah. He's got uh, got the cup. I just thought it was interesting. President's Cup, he's played a bunch. Ryder Cup, he played 89. He kind of blew it. Never been a Ryder Cup captain. I thought seem was a like little he interesting. Doesn't got considered. No. Do you think that's a PGA PGA Tour thing? I don't know. Has, I don't. I, has, I mean, Duval never got considered. Nick, he was lobbying. I guess he was lobbying quite a bit for both Ryder or Presidents Cup captains, and that and he got the job. Uh, even he gets one of the jobs on his terms, which he was going to make Michael Jordan and Robin Williams assistant captains. He did make Michael Jordan assistant captain for the one Presidents Cup, and no official team functions at night. Couples know he would still be under pro- public scrutiny. He has hated his whole career. He goes, maybe so, but it would be a blast. And he, he did get become like this kind of President's Cup uh, captain for multiple. The, the relationship with Jordan uh, yep. is pretty funny. So in yep. that Digest interview, they asked him about Jordan because Jordan would come out and like hang out with him and like, it, and he'd be there to play golf for like five days and couples would only yeah. go play with him like a couple times. And people, and they were like, why don't you go play with him all the time? And he goes, listen, like if I go hang out with MJ at MJ's house, I'm not going to ask MJ to go shoot hoops with me all day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty good. And he made him assistant captain yeah. for the President's Cup. Uh, other miscellaneous stuff, like the czar of the silly season, he was known as Mr. Skins. He won the Skins game in 95, 96, 99, 03, and 04. Uh, he just dominated. He accumulated over 3.5 million and 77 Skins in 11 appearances. Because um, of this and you know, dominance in Johnny Walker, 
World Golf Championship. He won like a J.C. Penny mixed title with Jan Stevenson. Yeah. Uh, and he became, you know, the king of the silly season or the czar of the silly season, as these TV events. Um, and Rick Riley in 96, he, he told him this, uh, which the money grab from November to New Year's Eve when the real tournaments aren't played. Here's what he said. Couples. Nobody practices for those things, so they're kind of right up my alley. Isn't that an amazing quote? Yeah. I want all these because nobody practices for those things. They're right up my alley. He's, he, it just shows that he's like a, the talent level, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's out there like hitting, you know, drivers on, on par threes. Like he just likes to, he's like this outrageous, they talked about that in college. Like how he was an amazing athlete, you know, good three-point shooter, good baseball player. His dad and brother were minor league baseball players. And like just wants to like kind of screw around. Doesn't want to practice though. So here's a, here's a story. This was before one of his wins. He was yep. traveling with like Jay Haas, his agent, and a few others. And after dinner, <laughs> the night before the final round, he made everybody stop to go hit baseballs in a batting yeah. cage at a fun park. And then he won the next day. <laughs> there was one, he talked about an injury late in his career. Throwing baseball. Vision issues because he got hit in the face with a baseball while playing catch with LaCava. I guess LaCava's got a cannon. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. Well, just a little bit more to get into like personality. LaCava, you know, this is 08, I believe. He says the tension, they're talking about all the back trouble, and just they never seem to know when or why it would creep up. He goes, the tension. Uh, and a player's personal life has made the has had the physical effect. Here's Lacaba. I can tell if he's hurting just by looking at his eyes. If they're wide open, he's okay. But if they're narrow, it's because his back is killing him, and he didn't sleep, or he's got a migraine. So it's just like kind of this constant pain. And then the personal life stuff is. I mean, he's been pretty. I don't know, forthcoming with it, given Very all that's happened. He had a horrible divorce from that Deborah. The couples his first wife who committed suicide she uh, got fifty thousand dollar month uh alimony from a payment yeah here's the ship because of the polo horses right right she was in a polo so this is 1998 uh tidbit after he just won the bob hope beginning in march of 94 so he's got the back going on too couples carriage turned into pumpkin uh his back blew up on the driving range at derail He's not been the same player. He's only won twice. A depressing downturn for the tour's third all-time money winner. Life away from golf has left scar tissue too. A divorce and broken broken engagement both played out in public. Last year was the most wrenching yet. Couples lost his father to leukemia on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, this was after his mom died on Mother's Day weekend. So both his parents died when he was, I think, in his 40s. Like 94, yeah. 97, I believe. Uh, just a lot of like personal personal life pain so he, he divorces like really public divorce from the first wife she commits suicide he has an engagement with another woman that gets broken off uh that is, then, he, then get, he started dating uh, a woman who g got cancer then i think he got married yeah no? they got married he, they got yeah. married and she gets breast cancer eventually died uh died because of breast cancer but like she got he talks about this in like a real sort of 
heavy way with uh, late 2008. Uh, he's never had kids, his own biological kids. Um, but, you know, there are three, this is um, 90, I want to say, yeah, 2001. He talks about, so, so this is Tice Bren, his second wife. Um, because there are three things more important to golf than couples, his wife, Tice, and her two children. When couples married last year, he, he had an instant family. He wanted a family for a long time. The new, new additions to his life helped offset the recent subtractions as the death of his mom and dad. Um, so suddenly couples as a father and its opportunity relishes. If I'd had kids when I was 25 or 30, I would not be anywhere near the player I am. I've been at Jay Haas's house and seen his son look up and say, dad, you have to go already. That's hard for my kids too, because they've never been around golf. I have chosen to stick around because that's what I want to do. It's a lot of fun to go to softball and soccer games to the park and to the zoo. So like that of marriage eventually falls apart too. He, he, he says to Diaz late in 08, he goes, I mean, this is Tice Bren. I've got, she's got two kids. She's sick. She's sick. I went with another woman for a year and I'm the bad guy. I don't think I am, but I can be a jerk. And I wouldn't sit here and not admit all the mistakes I make. But going back 10 years, I remember Tice saying after we'd found out about the cancer, you don't want to be with me. You don't even know me. And not long ago, she asked me, did you do it because of all the stuff that happened to you? Meaning his mom died and his father died. I said, no, I did it to help you and I fell in love with you. But honestly, I still don't know the answer to that question because it just happened so fast and she was fighting for her life. And I got caught up in that because we really didn't know each other. And when she started feeling better, my playing golf got to be a problem. My being gone was a problem. And now you look at where we're at. I hope she ends up my best friend. I really care about the kids. Um, and I'm glad she's doing well with her health, but it's over. It's too combative. I asked myself, what is my purpose here? And the answer is there isn't one. I tried very hard. I'm exhausted. I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but I think it comes down to life is too short to be unhappy. So like he didn't want to be a superstar. That was always a lot of trouble with them. Like he didn't want to pick up the phone because someone would be on the other end. He got really sick of being hounded for autographs. He has a lot of personal tr problems uh, with, with women uh, and then tragedy with, you know, Family. cancer, yeah. cancer. It's just like, not like always. He had some sa Sabo uh, drama too. <laughs> he did call out Sabo at the, uh... <laughs> so he's like Tiger's boy. I mean, he, I, we know that, but I mean, it going way back now. He called out Sabo at the, what was it? Chevron World Challenge type thing? Yeah. It was at the Target World Challenge, which is now the hero. What? Uh, Sabo pulled out on Sunday, Saturday night without notifying sponsors or the hosts. And he said, hey, Monty, am I wrong? He called out Sabo. And he, he even asked for Monty's, you know, did it, you know. And he just said, I just think it's important not to disrespect people. And he Sabo. said he call, called for uh, Sabo to donate his last uh, place, place check of $170,000. I mean, <laughs> this whole thing is a gift. For a guy not to say I'm sorry and thank you is an insult. A Savo scuffle. Oh, it's just a ton of like help. You know, he did the, we went to Germany and got like the retro, even that for his back where they take the blood out and put it back. Like, the spinning. 
Yeah, it's like personal problems, health problems, sort of. There was the one at the U.S. Open where he talked about getting in a fight with Jay Haas in the locker room and also telling LaCava he was going to fire him. Like it didn't, it wasn't glamorous there in the mid '90s, even when he was playing uh, some of his best golf. But he was still this like icon and idol, the Zen master of golf, as McCord called him. Tiger said he wore oversized shirts like couples and, and would walk in couples' gallery. And, and he goes, a lot of the things about Freddie are special, but the best thing is he's so genuine, says Tiger. The way he treated me when I play practice rounds with him as an amateur, I'll never forget. He can be hilarious, rambling about nothing, or he can just stand there and make people feel good. So I just feel like there's so much more complexity here that I didn't even know about, how he was testy with people, didn't he want hated, to talk to the hated, press. He hated people that came up to him and talked golf. He wanted to talk about everything except for golf. Yep. Bob Verdi, um, longtime Tribune writer, said, all I know is that whenever top guys from every other sport care about golf at all, the guy they all want to know about and meet is Fred. Yeah, he was like this this sensation and still is, right? So what's his legacy to you? You know, I look at the peak. The peak is so important with this. Uh Uh He's a Hall of Famer. If the back doesn't go... There's no he's, way he doesn't win probably 25 tournaments. I mean, he is, in fact, a Hall of Famer as well. Controversial. People got people were upset about him getting in with just one major. He's got two players, number one in the world for a while. I think that's the thing. He was the best player of his generation. Yeah. Like, And when he was at his best, nobody else could touch him. I, and I think he's like this American sensation. As... Uh, I think it was McCord. Like it's so much more about the persona. Like think coming about from nothing, coming from working class, coming from just I don't know, just the way he, the apathy had to drive people crazy. Like Nicholas, you know, Faldo, that had to drive them crazy. I put him in that Monty rung of players. I think most people do. I think they might have gotten in around the same time because they pe- people that, were hollering about that. That five-year run is pretty insane. 53% of the time you finish in the top 10 of events, you know? Right, right. That's insane. 20% of the time you're first or second. We'd be going bananas if somebody put together a run like that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. The thing I learned the most was about all the personal stuff and just how he's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, he's really... As easy as he made it look on the course, it was really hard for him off, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, life is too short, so why be unhappy? That one, that one was like kind of stick with me a little bit. Um, I think he's got to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I think like the one thing beside the peak is just he seems even with the injury, even, even with all the kind of uh, sometimes you know he looks like Mr. Cool off the court on the course, but it's really not the case behind the scenes. Like there was that longevity for me. I know the peak was short, but there's he was a competitive, contending player for a lot longer than some of these guys we've profiled, in my opinion. Especially when he wanted to be. Yeah, especially when he wanted to be. That was the big problem. All right, anything else on Freddie before we sign off? Just supreme talent, obviously. It's amazing how apathetic he was early. It's kind of... I I was 
thinking about the mar- his first marriage, Deborah. It seemed yeah. like she loved Fred Couples when Fred Couples didn't love golf. And then when he really, after that Ryder Cup, he really dedicated himself to golf. And that's when yeah. things fell apart with Deborah because he probably wa- he wasn't gallivanting to Europe uh, instead of playing the Western Open. You know, all of a sudden yeah. he dedicated himself. He became the best player in the world when he dedicated himself. And then the back went. Yeah, and I think it's hard. Like, the back really robbed him. Like, and we all know that. Hey, what do you say? Every move you make, it's like a toothache. This is 08. By the end of the day, I'm physically spent, and a lot of nights it's, I'm in bed by 7 o'clock. When I play in a tournament, so, like, the tournament golf makes it that much worse. The tension builds up, and the problem is I want to play better, but I can't try any harder. Pushing a little, like hitting 15 more balls, that's the biggest thing I can't do. And it's been that way for... This entire century, and even going back into the '90s during that peak, so feels like a a real kind of American story of a Coppola turned couples. You know, we never got to see it fully maximized, but still a Hall of Famer. Yeah. All right. right. That's it. Let's uh, maybe DL three next. Is that what we're thinking? Bacon, bacon might be ready. All right. Thank you for uh, indulging us again. SGS Spotlight. We'll keep these going. Send us feedback feedback if you have any. And we will uh, check in with you guys on Friday.